see everyone this morning. Thanks for being here, especially those of you who are guests with us. I know we've got a few. I met some on the way in, but if I didn't meet you on your way in, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. And I just want to let you know, if you have any questions about the church or anything that you hear this morning, I would love to visit with you for a few minutes after the service. I will head out to our connection area, so out the doors to the right. I'll kind of hang out over there um, and would love to just meet you, um, introduce myself, or if you do have any questions or there's something that you want to chat about for a couple of minutes, I am um, more than willing to do that. One of the things that I want to let you know, especially those of you who are guests with us, we want you to move outside of rows and find a circle. Um, our vision as a church is we want to see everybody who's a part of the table to see their faith come alive, and we feel like faith comes alive better in a circle as we're interacting with other people than it does just on a Sunday morning in a service where it's harder to ask questions and things like that. And so with that in mind, um, if you are not involved in a group, a great kind of way to jump into the group process is through what we do on Wednesday nights um, called our growth groups. So growth groups are great because there's a new subject every single month, so you can always jump into something that's starting rather than jumping into something that has been going on um, for a number of months. And so not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we will start a new subject, and our subject matter um, for the month of November is Heaven, Hell, and the End Times. So three really fun um, subjects. <laughs> this is the one that I... I we, for those of you that don't know, we have a three-year cycle of topics that we go through, and this is the last one. It has been the last one on purpose because I didn't really want to talk about it, but we're, we're going to um, in our growth groups. And so if you want to get signed up for that, you can. Um, the easiest way to do that is probably through the Church Center app. If you've downloaded that, you can register um, in the registrations for that or in the um, live event from uh, the Bible app, there is a link to our digital bulletin. Um, you can go to that digital bulletin link and find out the information there. Or you could just say, hey, Bill, sign me up for that on your way out the door, and I will try to remember that. Um, so lots of different ways to do that, but we'd love for you to be a part of that. So it's not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. So we've got that coming up for you. So today, we are continuing our series called Reconstruction, where we're talking about the reasons to believe. But we're doing so against this backdrop of a time in the church where lots of people are asking really hard questions about faith. And throughout this series, we're, we're kind of asking those same questions, but rather than looking at those questions as reasons not to believe, we're looking at those questions and trying to figure out the reasons to believe in the midst of the questions that we face. And the title of today's message, we're continuing that theme, the title of today's message is How to Be Hated which might seem like an odd thing to talk about, um, a strange subject to cover in church, um, but it actually is something that comes out of the Bible. We're going to look at this verse in its context in just a minute, but John 15, 18 says, If the world hated you, it's the words of Jesus to his disciples, if the world hated you, know that it hated me first. So I think in the world of the church today, there are a lot of people who view that verse as a badge of honor. When the world hates me or when I am hated by somebody, I must be doing something right because that's what Jesus told me I'm supposed to do. But here's the problem. It's not hard to be hated. All you have to do is say something ridiculous. Like a pastor in the Metroplex said in his sermon from August the 28th. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. 
It's not a person who's famous. You wouldn't know who it is, uh, even if I told you who it was. The only reason I came across this is because it showed up in a newsletter that somehow I got signed up for about all kinds of odd and disturbing things that happen in church. But this man in the Metroplex in his sermon on August the 28th said this. He said, well, the reason that women don't get paid as much as men do is because they are not as good at working as men are. I have no idea what he was talking about. And I, and I know for sure it doesn't, that's not found in the Bible. Well, the reality is you can just say crazy things and then you get pushback from that and say, see, I'm doing exactly what Jesus wanted me to do because I am hated as a result of the cause of Christ. It's not hard to be hated. It's also important that we make sure that we're not manufacturing persecution. I want to take you back to August of 2020. August of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, the Lockdown had been lifted, so we'd been out doing things for a couple of months, but there was still lots of debate about mask wearing, social distancing. Uh, while many, probably most large event venues were still shut down, at least here in Texas, it wasn't the case in, in other parts of the country, but at least here, the government had basically said, we're not going to give any guidance to churches anymore. You guys just do whatever you want to do. So that was happening as at the same time, remember we come out of a period over the summer where there was a lot of upheaval um, with racial protests following George Floyd, all of that stuff. And then in August of 2020, I saw a Facebook post by a pastor that I know who posted a recording of a message from 1975. And I got to tell you, like, just to frame this story, so this pastor that I know, he's an older gentleman, very conservative, very traditionally minded. He, in fact, has since retired from his church. Uh, to give you an idea of his just traditional mindset, like suit and tie every Sunday, adult choir, adult Sunday school, so all the traditional elements of church was a part of his church. And so he posted this message from a man named Dr. Fred Brown, who preached a sermon in 1975 called How to Be a Good American. And so I saw that, and I'm like, man, like, that sounds really interesting. I wonder what is in the message, and I wonder why he is posting this message. So I listened to it, and it was fascinating on a number of different levels. It was fascinating to hear about what was being talked about and what was on people's minds nearly 50 years ago. Uh, I will tell you there were things in there, in that message, that I thought were odd. There were things in that message that I completely disagree with. But there was one story that he told that has stuck with me since I listened to that message over two years ago. So he's talking about how to be a good American. And he said, in part... One of the ways that we are good Americans is by obeying the laws of the Lamb, which comes out of Romans 13. And then he told this story. He said, I knew a pastor who was going around town putting flyers, Bible flyers or Christian flyers of some kind on people's cars all around town. And many of them were blowing off cars. They were falling on the ground, creating a huge mess. And so the city went to this pastor, probably through the police, 
but and said, hey, you can't do that. That's a violation of our city ordinance. You can't post those things. And the guy said, well, this is Christian persecution. The reason that you won't let me do this is because I'm a Christian. And Dr. Brown said this in his message. This is a quote. He said, if a grocer can't do that, then you can't either. In essence, what he was saying is, if somebody who owns a grocery store can't go around putting flyers on all the cars because it makes a mess and violates an ordinance, you can't do it either and claim that it's religious persecution just because you were doing it as a Christian. That's not how it works. You can't manufacture persecution. But I think in the world that we live in today, people are saying crazy things and receiving pushback from that, and they're manufacturing persecution, and they're saying to themselves, look, I'm doing exactly what Jesus wanted me to do, because if they hated, if Jesus said, if they hate you, remember, know this, that they hated me first. Which I believe is a gross misunderstanding of what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15. And so that's the passage that we're going to look at this morning as we talk about how to be hated. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there, John 15. We're going to look at verses 17 through 21. Um, I'll read that in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Or um, if you have the, the Bible app open in our live event, you can follow along there. Before I read this, I'm going to tell you, today's message I think is a little bit different um, because I want you to think with me for a few minutes and then we'll get into the application. So I want to make a case for something. I want you to think about this and then we'll get into the application. But here is what Jesus said in John 15, starting in verse 17. This is what I command you, love one another. And then we have verse 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. I started with verse 17 on purpose. This is what I command you, love one another. Because I believe that that is a hinge verse. So it summarizes what comes before and then introduces what comes after. If you were with us over the summer, Melissa actually talked about the, the section prior to what, where verse 18 starts, so in 17 and, and prior to that, where Jesus said, I give you a new command to love one another. And what we found is that it's not really a new command. It's not that God for the first time and said, hey, it's important that you love one another. This had always been part of God's plan, but as Jesus gave this new command, it wasn't really a new command as much as it was a reapplied command with a new scope and focus. Now, it was based on the example of Jesus. So it's Jesus saying to his disciples, as I have loved you in the same way, you need to go love one another. Now, let me tell you how verse 18 and then the context that follows is typically understood. Because typically, verse 17 is separated from verse 18 and what follows. And we look at that and say, okay, if the world hates me, remember that it hated Jesus first. So I should be hated by the world. Now, who's the world? Well, that would be sinful people. The bad people who do the bad things. 
Okay, so then how are we hated by the world? Well, we're hated by the world when we hold to a certain moral standard which points out the sinful things that sinful people do, the bad things that the bad people do so they understand how bad they are and they can't just do the bad things that they want to do when we hold to our moral standard that comes from the Bible. And maybe it's not said as clearly as I just said it, but that's the application. We are hated by the world when we hold to a moral standard. Bad people aren't going to like it, and they hate us as a result. But we have this odd verse, verse 17. This is what I command you, love one another, which introduces what we read in verse 18. So when we put verse 17 with verse 18 and what follows, here's how we need to begin to think about this. Hey, guys, make sure that you love one another really well. And in the process of doing that, if the world hates you, understand it hated me first, and it's okay. And all of a sudden, when we attach verse 17 to verse 18, we got to begin to ask some questions about our traditional understanding of verse 18. Is it really about the bad people who do the bad things hating us, or is it something else? Why would people hate us if we love each other really well? And then we have to ask the question, because Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. We have to ask the question, well, who was hated by Jesus? Now, this is a fascinating study. One that I, I, we could spend a long time on. We don't have time to do that. Um, but let me make a case for us briefly this morning. And you can go back and check. Read through the Gospels try to figure out if I'm right or wrong in this. But I want to make a case for who was hated by Jesus, because maybe it's not the people that we think it was. I would submit first that the people that hated Jesus were the religious leaders of Jesus' day whose hypocrisy was being exposed by Jesus. It was the religious leaders of Jesus' day who knew all the right rules and followed all the right rules in just the right way and made sure that everybody else tried to follow those same rules too, which became a heavy burden which kept people from God instead of helping them to understand how to have a relationship with God. It was those religious leaders that Jesus called whitewashed tombs, meaning they wanted to look good on the outside, but their hearts were far from God on the inside. Maybe the clearest example of the hatred that these religious leaders had towards Jesus is found in a story that Jesus told about the owner of a vineyard. We read it in Luke chapter 9. According to the story, Jesus said this, a landowner lent out his land to farmers. The contractual arrangement was you get to work the land, and at harvest time, Part of the proceeds of the harvest belong to the landowner, the rest you get to keep. So at harvest time, the landowner sent a servant to go collect his share of the harvest. But the landowners didn't want to give up what they had worked so hard for, and instead of giving over the share that was right, rightfully belonged to the landowner, they beat the servant and sent him away. The landowner then sent another servant, and the same thing happened. And finally, as Jesus told the story, the landowner decided to send his son Surely they will respect my son. But as Jesus told that story, he said that the landowner saw the son approaching from a distance and they got together. And they said, hey guys, listen, if we kill the son, not only will the harvest be ours, but there will be no heir and we'll be able to keep the land too. 
And those religious leaders, they knew when Jesus told the story, he was talking about them. And we read in the text that they sought to kill Jesus from that point forward. Because the point of Jesus' story was this, that those religious leaders had the truth of the message of how to have a relationship with God for all people. But they didn't want to share that message with all people. They wanted to keep it for themselves, for their own power and their own position so that they could wield that over other people. So that's the first group that was hated by Jesus. These religious leaders of Jesus' day whose hypocrisy was being exposed by Jesus. There's another group that was hated by Jesus, and those are the political leaders that were threatened by Jesus' power. We see this early on in Jesus' life, not long after his birth. The wise men come from the east following the star of Bethlehem in the sky, and the first place that they go to is the palace in Jerusalem, and they come across a man that we know as Herod the Great. They say, hey, we've been following this star because the Messiah has been born. Do you know where he is? And Herod said, no, I don't know where he is. But when you go find him, make sure you come back and tell me where he is because I want to go and worship him too. He didn't want to do that. And in a vision, the wise men were warned not to go back to Herod, but go home a different way. Well, after Herod realized that he had been bamboozled by the wise men, he passed a decree that all boys under the age of three should be killed because he wanted to get rid of the Messiah who he viewed as a threat to his power. Later in Jesus' life and ministry, we read another encounter that he had, this time with a man named Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is the leader who put John the Baptist to death. He viewed John the Baptist's message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin that was given to all people. He viewed that as a threat to his power and authority. Um, And especially when John pointed out his sinfulness of marrying his sister-in-law, that's really kind of what pushed things over the edge. So John the Baptist was beheaded uh, by Herod the Tetrarch. Herod hated Jesus because he was told that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated. Then at the end of Jesus' life, we read his encounter with another Herod. Now, here's the reason we have all these Herods, because Herod is really more of a title than it is a name. A lot like in the Old Testament, we read about Pharaoh. Pharaoh is more of a title than it is a name. This final Herod in Jesus' life, Herod Antipas. So Jesus, in the midst of his trial, he was sent by Pilate to Herod Antipas, who was the leader of the region of Galilee where Jesus was from, and he asked Jesus questions, but really what he wanted was for Jesus to perform a miracle, kind of like a sideshow thing. And when Jesus wouldn't do that, he treated Jesus harshly, had him beaten, and then sent back to Pilate. So throughout Jesus' life, we see that he is hated by religious leaders whose hypocrisy was exposed by Jesus, and then political leaders whose felt like their power was being threatened by Jesus. Now, what's interesting about that is what we never read about Jesus, and that is of sinners hating Jesus. We never read about the bad people who do all the bad things, labeled sinners in the culture of the day. Those people didn't hate Jesus because those were the people who were being ministered to by Jesus. Jesus ministering to prostitutes. 
casting out demons from the demon-possessed, eating with tax collectors and sinners. And when he did that, those same religious leaders said, you can't do that, that's not proper for someone who is in a religious position to do. Jesus was known as a friend to sinners. It's interesting to think about the words of Jesus back in our text in John 15, when the world hates you, know that it hated me first. What's also interesting is that we see this same pattern happening in the early church. Who hated the church? First, it was religious leaders whose hypocrisy was being exposed by the church and who were in fear of losing their influence over people because of the church. Maybe the best example that we read about this in the history of the early church is with the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. So Stephen was this great preacher. He's going around sharing the message of Jesus, telling people to trust in him. The church didn't, or the, the Jewish leadership didn't like that. And so they brought up all kinds of these trumped up charges against him, claiming that he was blaspheming God, all these different things. And so Stephen then stood up in their midst and gave this incredible message that exposed their hypocrisy to the point that they then drugged Stephen to the outskirts of town and stoned him, murdered him because of his testimony about Jesus. And it was then that the religious leadership condoned persecution of any Christian. The church was hated by religious leadership. Not only was the church hated by religious leadership, it was also hated by political leaders whose power was being threatened by the church. We see this a lot throughout the book of Acts, but we read of another Herod named Herod Agrippa who treated the church terribly, and he is the one who had Jesus' half-brother James, who was the leader of the church, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he had him killed. Why? Because his power, he felt like his power was being threatened by the church. Same thing is true in non-Jewish areas as well. So the Apostle Paul was jailed in the city of Philippi after he cast out a demon from a slave girl because the girl's owner was threatened by what was happening. There was a loss of income as a result of what Jesus did. Now his, in his situation... He wasn't necessarily a person of political power, but certainly power within his city. And he had a loss of power over this one who was powerless. But again, what we read in the history of the early church, we never see people that we would look at and culturally define as sinners, the bad people who do the bad things. They didn't hate the church because they were being ministered to by the church. Now, if you're tracking with me, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Why do we get this traditional understanding of John 15, 18? If the world hates me, remember, it, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And that means that when we have a moral standard that we hold to, we are just going to be hated because we hold to that moral standard. Where does that come from? And I want to be fair and tell you, I don't think it comes from nowhere. Because by the end of the first century, so the the very end of the New Testament period and into the second century, widespread persecution did break out against the church. In other words, basically, you were hated just because of the fact that you were a Christian. 
Now, the question is, how did that start, though? Well, historians will tell us that the reason that persecution broke out in the entire Roman Empire is because of the radical hospitality that was found in the early church. The way that the church was loving all people and doing such a good job at loving all people, the Roman Empire thought that that was a threat. So they created a disinformation campaign, created some fake news against the church, and then persecution broke out. But what the Roman Empire feared was love. Now let's go back and apply that. Because when Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. How should we be hated? First, I believe that we should be hated not by seeking to gain positions of power by any means necessary. I want you to know that is happening in the world of the church today. That there is a movement of people that are saying we need to gain positions of power and authority by any means necessary so that we can pass all the right laws and then therefore everybody has to hold to the same standards that we do. Now this is really hard because we do live in a democracy where we have the opportunity to influence public policy and things like that. We're called, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And part of that means that we're to be a preserving agent within our culture. So we have a responsibility in this area. But yet at the same time, I do believe that it is not by any means necessary. That seems to me to be antithetical to the ways of Jesus. We've talked about this in in our series so far Younger adults walking away from the church. And I believe the number one reason that young adults walk away from the church today and ask these hard questions about what they believe is because for years they have been told about the values of compassion, mercy, and grace. They've been told that character matters and it always matters. And all of a sudden, in the last five to eight years, they've been looking around at the world and at the state of the church and have said, it doesn't seem like it matters it, it matters anymore, and I don't understand why. And they're walking away. So we're hated not by seeking to gain power at any cost, but by treating all people with dignity and love. We're hated by treating all people with dignity and love. Okay, so in light of what we've talked about with who hated Jesus and who hated the early church in that history... I believe that we today have to figure out a way to position ourselves to hold to the truth of Scripture and what the Bible teaches us about God's best way to live, while at the same time loving people who are far from God really well, by loving all people well and treating all people with dignity. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't understand. If that's what we're going to do, if we're going to love all people well— then why in the world would we ever be hated? Man, that's a great question. I think in light of how I have always understood, I feel like always been taught John 15, 18, I knew from a very early age, I'll say it this way, that there would be times where I would feel marginalized by the world. 
Like as a teenager, hey, I'm not going to go to certain places so there may be things that I'll miss out on because of the way that I feel like God is calling me to live my life. I was prepared for that. What I was not prepared for was the marginalization that comes from inside the church. Because when you decide to treat all people with dignity and love, regardless of background, experiences, race, gender, and sexuality, that is not popular inside the church. When you decide, as a result of understanding that the gospel is equally for all people, that we are all equal at the foot of the cross, as you understand that, and in light of the truth of the gospel, when you say, hey, maybe we should think about issues of social justice and their implications for what we do as a church, that is not popular. When you say things like this, man, maybe our culture has shaped the way that we view women and the roles that women hold in the church, and maybe we should rethink those things. Maybe Scripture doesn't say exactly what we thought it said about those issues. You will be marginalized as a result of it. I know because that's exactly what I have been told within the last month. When you recognize that there is a segment of our community that is struggling, especially young people, struggling with sexuality and gender and all of those things, and we say, man, we need to think about how we minister to them well, that we love them to Jesus so that their lives are changed, that is not a popular position. Now, I want to be clear. We believe, I believe, in marriage and sexuality as defined by God all the way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. That our experience of sexual intimacy should be between one man and one woman for life. That's God's desire for us. But at the same time, I do not believe we need to put a sign out on the front of the church so that everybody who drives by understands that. Because I want to figure out how to minister well in this world that we live in and to treat all people with dignity and respect. And unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, that's not popular. Third, we are hated as we seek to live questionable lives. 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect. It's really interesting when you stop and think about that verse. It says, be ready to give people a reason. So it's like kind of saying, hey, people are going to ask you about the hope that you have. And so what Peter is saying when he writes that is that we are supposed to live our lives differently, which causes people to ask why we live differently. According to the context, it is a different set of moral standards that we live a holy life. But we live that holy life not demanding it on other people, but by living that way, and then people see how we are living, and then they say, why are you living that way? And we can give them an answer with gentleness and respect and tell them it's because of Jesus. Finally, we are hated as we seek to share the hope 
of Jesus to the world. We're hated as we extend the hope of Jesus to the world. It's the mission. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go make disciples of all people. We've been talking about this in our growth group on Wednesdays. It's the phrase panta ta ethne, all the peoples. Not just some people, all people. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our mission. It's to share the good news of Jesus with people, to make disciples, to help people to understand all that Jesus has accomplished for us so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can have eternal life. That's what we've been called to do. Our, our goal is not to be hated, but it's to share the hope of Jesus with people who so desperately need it. And then, if in the process of doing that really well, as we treat people with love and respect, if they happen to hate us, then we remember we're not alone. Because they hated him first. Will you pray with me?